This is the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast, the podcast with the most desirable intellectual property in the business. My name is Matt Wolf, and I'll be your host. Our topic for this episode is working with licensed intellectual property. And with me this time is a very special guest, a man who buys beer for random people at airports, Nate Murray. Hey, Nate. Hey, how's it going? That's a that's a good intro. I should get that on a, on a card. I like that. <laughs> it might be long for a card. I don't know, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Josh Mills says uh, thanks for the beer. By the way. Oh, excellent! Yeah, we had a nice little discussion. He made the uh, walk across a long terminal, so it was only fair to buy the beer. <laughs> All right. So, Nate, for people who uh, may not be familiar with you, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, who you work for? Okay, so uh, as we said, I'm Nate Murray. I buy random beers. <laughs> I also uh, work for IDW Publishing and more specifically and more often IDW Games. My title just changed to product manager. I, I've been so many things at the company over the years, but right now it's product manager of uh, IDW Games. And then technically I think IDW Limited coloring books and fun packs as well. So anything that's not a comic book, I have some hand in its creation or development. And that's more what I focus on is the developing a product and seeing it come together, kind of like a, a producer would, essentially. Yeah, that I, I know you, you've worn a lot of hats at the the company, and you kind of have to when you know you, you're doing a game development and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And producer sounds like you know like an appropriate title, and, and product manager, uh, you know, I don't know if if you would prefer like the title of producer, but product manager is probably the closest official title that you might might get. Yeah, it's product manager because that's how the, the structure at my boss's old company was was structured, and he saw that title. But I might I might change it to producer next time around. We we negotiate and change things all the time, and that does look a little more fun on a card. So <laughs> right. I've I've yet to have a, a fun title on my very fun branded card. We've got these great comic art cards that are all cool, and then I've had community manager, project manager, marketing manager, and now product manager. And so it, just one card that had a fun job title would be a, kind of a, a, a nice thing just for working in such a creative and interesting space. Right. I, th I think especially like if you just drop the word manager, you know, because that's the part that kind of like bumps people out like, oh, oh, you're managing, you know, it's like, yeah, just get something that has a little bit more more pizzazz to it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's my favorite thing at conventions is when people come running up. I work both comic and board game conventions. So this happens more at comic shows. But people come up to the booth. And they're like, oh my god, you work for RDW? Are you an artist? Are you a writer? <laughs> and then I say, uh, oh, I'm a project manager. And, the, and then they just, the, the light goes out of their eyes and they kind of <laughs> stand there and shift. And they're like, um, that's cool. <laughs> and then they just try to crab walk away from me. <laughs> so it's actually, I, I, my first year on the circuit, I was, uh, you know, I was obviously a little insulted, but. Now I find it hilarious, and um, you know it saves me from having to talk to people. So that works in a, in a lot of ways for me. Yeah, hidden benefit right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, at cons, it's all about saving your voice. So I really, if I'm talking, I, I want it to be about business. I don't want to give a five minute backstory, you know, because I've been talking for four days, and any day now my voice will drop out. I'll, I won't get it back for a week. Yeah. Now, how did the uh, lemon juice and water work out at Gen Con that that uh, Ian had? Did that did that help? 
Yeah, yeah, Ian Zhang, man, he uh, he takes care of me, so keeps me standing upright. So uh, yeah, the, we did that two shows now this year, and I didn't lose my voice at either of them. So Scott, that's a good streak because at a four day, I always lose it. So that's pretty good. Very good. Yeah, I, I tried that at Gen Con this year too, and it worked for me as well. And so I think that's going to be the uh, standard standard uh, operating procedure, you know, going on from from this point forward. And if it, yeah. even if it only works as placebo, hey, it works so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of calories in that lemon juice, and I I know I don't eat hardly at all during the show, so you know whatever whatever <laughs> I can do to just keep keep moving, essentially. I gotcha. Yep. Yeah. All right. So uh, normally, what we do the next segment we go into is our what's in the oven segment, which is where when we have members of the Game Designers of North Carolina on, they'll kind of share a little bit about what they're working on. And I know that you also have done design. You recently had uh, The Godfather, an offer you can't refuse, that you and the other Nathan at the company uh, (laughs) designed. Is there anything that you're working on that you're allowed to share and that you would like to share? Yeah, I have. uh, So my niche in the company is party game and light game for design space. Because so many of my hours are devoted to developing other people's projects, you'll never see a worker placement or euro or anything heavy out of me. I have a very silly game coming out called Bedwed Dead. And that was based off a conversation that a big account needed a dirty party game and they needed it that day. Hmm. And so we were about to turn down the business and I told the, my sales guy and, and, and my boss, I said, hey, no, we don't have to turn that down. We can figure something out. So, you know, we, we kind of racked our brains a little bit and I came up with kind of a gamified version that, of uh, something that's played at bars, uh, F. Mary Kill, all over the world. So it's kind of rooted in that with some gamified twists. It's, it's like going from Avalon or Resistance to Coup, essentially. So there's rules in, your, in who you'd marry F or Kill. So that's a, a project coming out, pretty silly. <laughs> and um, I've designing that was actually an exercise in building spreadsheets. That was like the worst experience ever because it's so many names. Mm. And so I'm sitting on the concept for a trivia game right now that I love and keeps everyone involved every turn. And it's really interesting. But I don't feel like writing the 1800 trivia questions that re- would require. So I'm kind of at an impasse. So... I I would actually welcome designers' advice on what to do there. I, I, I've just been through this. I just had to write out 3,600 names and found it exhausting. And to sit and, and source and write 1,800 trivia topics, even though I love the mechanics of this new take on that genre, I don't want to do that grunt work. So I'm trying to figure out what to do on that. That is an unannounced project, but it would be greenlit quickly. Maybe if you uh, put a post on BGG or on Reddit, just hey, looking for someone to you know bring on to do the question part, and you might right. yeah you might be able to get to, you know snag someone and they'd be willing to do yeah. that. Yeah, from my perspective, that sounds terrible, you know. But I'm sure right. there's someone that would be interested in doing that and could save you from all that that grunt work like that. Yeah, that'd be amazing. You know, I, you know, no one's ever worked for me for free. So, well, <laughs> besides my con volunteers, of course, but not for in a design space we pay, and, and so that would be good. Um, and that's the possibility. So maybe I can connect with someone like that. Yeah, that's that's it from a design aspect. Development wise, I'm probably touching twenty to twenty five titles at some stage right now. Wow. Yeah. How that? How do you keep track of of all of that? You guys have some kind of like project management software, like Trello or anything like that. We've flirted with several of them and haven't found one that the whole team can agree on. And that's the problem with those softwares: is if your whole team doesn't use it, then you get back to the archaic methods of 
email and, and Facebook chat and all right. that. So I'm, I mean, I'm spread across. I, at any point in time, I'm Skyping with one designer, Facebook messaging with two others, emailing with a fourth, and then emailing with my team and using inner office chat. So I'm, I'm talking with someone from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed about some project. Wow. On, yeah. on some platform, yeah. So that's that's kind of that's where life is and and it's uh, it's okay and chaotic and i've probably developed adult onset add a little <laughs> bit uh certainly my boss as well we we just you know and that's you know that's just the games division yesterday was a, a large book project so it, it, you have to be ready to pivot quick to to survive in this and i think everyone i've met who's kind of doing what i do is similar in that and that they're doing they're touching a lot of things and, and wearing a lot of hats, just like coming back from Gen Con. I mean, certainly exhibiting at a show and demoing games and talking to fans and doing media is not really what I was brought on to do, but it's part of the job requirement. Yeah, so it sounds like thinly managed chaos to an extent. Sure, yeah. totally. Yeah, <laughs> it gets a little wild and, and really chaotic, but we have everyone who works on the team is really positive and really collaborative and inspiring, and I, I have the luck to have a manager and, and really a whole management structure that rewards and loves good ideas and is willing to take risk and to, to chase things down. And, and so that's kind of been, for the most part, there's a couple of really stupid ideas they won't let me do, but <laughs> I, I'm very empowered in my role. If I go to my boss tomorrow and I'm like, Hey, I found this game, you know, let's, let's go after it. And he, okay. We got a uh, Saikatsu from a uh, pair of designers at Origins and he had never played it and the sales guy had never played it, but it just kind of stuck. It was one of those games that stuck in my brain. And so we, he got into a bidding war over it because he just trusted my opinion on it. So we'll be publishing that by March at the latest. It's an amazing game. Yeah, that, that is by friends of the show, Matt Loomis and Isaac Shalev. Yes, it is by them. And they're awesome. And something I'm so excited about, like my whole team, we're fired up. And it's a, it's a great little game. It's spatial, so I lose it. <laughs> I think I'm one, one, one in 20 at this point. I won a game after a few drinks two weekends ago, and that was pretty exciting for me. Uh, I still love it, and we'll play any chance I get. So uh, uh, that's kind of the, the empowerment I have is that you know my boss, Jerry, is just like, okay, if you say it's good, let's go get it. And so he fought hard. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think having a good team to work with really mm-hmm. allows you to kind of overcome a lot of the challenges in a, in a job you know, such as you have. And if you didn't have a good team, I'm sure it'd be very frustrating and, and perhaps not, uh, not very endearing. Yeah, that's it. It's that one truly negative person can, when your team is as small as ours is and as small as a company, one truly negative person or, or not bought in person and you you can watch your projects just grind and, and become miserable and, and I, we definitely have tough days and we have we get knocked down but you know we go for a drink or we we get everybody cookies and somebody puts on a positive hat for the day and rallies us and we, we just keep coming back so that's that's kind of the nature of it all i was de- i've definitely been the cheerleader this week as a couple of things are slowly unraveling and uh, <laughs> causing some pains but sometimes you have to do that you have to say, you know, I'll be the one that we can all kind of rally on and I'll, I'll be positive this week because I certainly wasn't the last few weeks. And, and you know, they picked me up when I, I'm just back from con and exhausted and a little cranky and the team really rallies for me. So we're, we're, uh, we're all in it together. And, and that's that's what's really fun about the team. Well, that, that's really awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, IDW is you know, has that good kind of uh, team so they can 
put out all the games you guys that uh, have signed you're working on and like you said you've got 20 plus things that you're touching and that are going to be coming out and so it'll be uh, real exciting to kind of see what's coming out and that's going to kind of lead us into our main discussion here is someone asked on twitter they asked you about intellectual property and kind of dealing with it and uh, your response was that that is a big big topic and you'd have lots to say and so i saw an opportunity to say hey come on the podcast and let's uh, let's talk about it because i know this is a topic of conversation that lots of designers i i see ask and and there is like some good information out there but i think there's also a lot of kind of bad information uh, just because like mm-hmm. people are like speculating and and they uh, they also may not have had a uh, recent experience so uh, this will be a, a good discussion to let, you know make sure that everyone's on the same page and, and kind of get your perspective on uh, working with intellectual property. So the, uh, the first thing, let, let's make sure that we define uh, what intellectual property is in case anyone is not sure. Do you want to give a shot at uh, uh, giving a definition? It means I'm playing in someone else's sandbox and they make the rules and I pay them money. I think that is the best definition I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There yeah. you go. That's yeah. That's it. it. I mean, it's it's their idea. You know, Batman. If I want to make a Batman game, DC owns Batman. I'm gonna go to DC and say, "Let me make a Batman game. I will give you 10 percent of profit or whatever number they want in perpetuity as long as you let me make said game, and you'll also get to see." every single step of the game along the way and you'll have the right to approve the art the mechanics the words where your logos are where my logos are the piece size it, it, literally everything so i you will be the master of the said thing and then you'll pick up a check so really what you should be doing is figuring out how to create your ip hmm. so so yeah so let, let's talk about that a little bit uh, more if you were looking to do a game with a certain ip and whether uh, you guys internally have the idea or if a designer would bring you a design that they think would fit a certain IP, what, what are kind of the steps that you would go through to to determine whether, uh, A, it's something that you want to do, and B, how you go about uh, procuring uh, that IP? Sure. Okay, so that's two very different things. Okay, uh, do, do uh, so the first one. Start, start. So a designer pitches me an idea. Yeah. That one? Okay, so this has happened plenty of times. So I'll get a, a tweet or a message or run into someone on a show and they'll say, let's use, um, we'll use They Live as an example uh, <laughs> because that's one of the stupid ideas I keep getting shot down for because, in my opinion, They Live is ripe for a board game. Uh, so let's say someone sends me a message and they say, Nate, I've got the perfect They Live game for you. And I say, great. And I check it out and I, in fact, agree. That is the They Live board game. Wonderful. So then, Internally, you know, we would go to our team and, and make sure that everyone agrees, yes, this is an opportunity and this is a license we want to pursue. And that's where they live dies and at IDW is they go, Nate, seriously? And I go, have <laughs> you seen Rowdy Rowdy Piper? And uh, so let's pretend that IDW got behind this idea and said, yeah, okay. And so then the next step would be finding who owns the rights to they live. So would it, is it Universal, Paramount, Fox, et cetera? And then opening up a dialogue with them and hoping that they have the team in place to to source out merchandise. And these bigger companies all do, but sometimes you'll meet a company with just one brand that's so small and niche that they haven't even thought of 
oh, we make this TV show or we made this movie, but we haven't even thought of the fact that it should be a Funko toy, it should be a game, it should be on shirts and socks and all this. So they have to have that person. Now, if they have that, then you start negotiation essentially and say, hey, here's what we want to do. We want to do a board game of this type. And then you kind of start drilling down into rights from there and it all becomes an, an exercise of, of money and time and region you can be looking at. I think a good example right now that people are complaining about online is uh, the Vikings TV show. There's a Kickstarter that just launched, a deck building game. Right. And I looked at that and it's available. They said, hey, it's available in uh, the US and Canada. And there's a bunch of Euro backers in the comments that are upset. And I can very quickly put two and two together and say, well, that's not their choice if it was really their choice, being a green company like they are, they would limit it to purely U.S. But when they open it up to Canada, I can tell, okay, they have North American rights for this game. That's what that means. Ah, So, And oftentimes deals can be like that. So you're looking at money, time, and geography when you cut a licensing deal. So that Vikings game on Kickstarter, Euro guys, it's not that they don't like you. They literally don't have the rights to sell a game to Germany. They don't have the rights to sell a game to the UK. So that's what's going on with that. They have English, North American rights, and I can guarantee you that's why you're seeing that. Because you wouldn't add Canada and not the rest of the world. Because funnily enough, and sadly enough, it's just as difficult to ship to Canada as it is to the EU. That I've, I've run into that several times now. Yeah, and that uh, really surprises people because they're like, come on, it's just across the border. But no, it's I, really expensive. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. And people, it's you know, the fans certainly don't like seeing shipping prices. They've been trained by Amazon to never pay it. But, you know, unless you're cutting those crazy deals that they have, it's a realistic cost. I mean, we don't – shipping is not a profit center for us. And I hate charging people it. And I hate how bad it is to ship to Canada. But that's not that's not me. That's, you know, that's gas. That's USPS and everybody else involved. But, yeah, um, it's just reality. Yeah, so that's the reality. So getting back slightly on topic, so once you have that license and you've I've got my They Live game and I've got it up and, and you know, if the licensor gets on board, great. Okay, now we make this deal and I kind of write up a better scope doc of the game that includes a summary and mechanics and parts. And then we begin this long process of sending them wave after wave of information on the game. So a rules document artists or are we going to use stills from the show because you don't have likeness rights to anything else to allow me to draw my own art because that's an issue right so that's you know i see a lot of gamers complaining about oh the game used stills instead of art i wish they hadn't well again they probably wish they hadn't too but stills were what they were allowed to do and the vikings game is a great example of that because they're using stills from the show okay so yeah so it's stills so that's not like you don't wake up in the morning super fired up on stills at least not (laughs) someone who works with like I work in a comic book company that works with all the best artists in the world. So like I can make a call and get a really good artist for the games. That's IDW's advantage. If you look at our games, our art is like, I mean, we're using the best guys. And so we can make those calls, but sometimes the licensor won't let us or not the licensor. Even it goes down to a case by case of the actor. You know, there's Hmm. extra royalties involved there. There's extra likeness rights involved there. So you not only have to ask, Hey, Universal, do you have the rights that they, they live? They could say, yeah, absolutely, we do. And then you could say, cool. And that includes the likeness rights to Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. And they would say, oh, no, we don't have those rights. He kept those. And then you're left in a weird spot where you're like, okay, am I going to proceed down this path with this brand without the iconic character representing this game? And hmm. so you have to make that choice. So you'll see sometimes licensed games that are conspicuously missing key characters and again, that's that's not the game company forgetting that that character was in the game. 
it, when when you know the designer they they bring the the game to you and they they think or they, they say hey I think uh, this IP would would fit real well and you were saying that okay you got to figure out who has it is that your job is that someone else at IDW no that that's above my pay grade that okay way. and luckily my boss Jerry Bennington is a master of it he's been able to go get licenses no one thought possible consistently and uh, so once he agrees that it's a good idea he goes on the hunt and then i you know what i'll give you a real world example recently that that fizzled so we got pitched a blade runner game that i really liked and i really liked blade runner and that's the other part of the equation for idw is that not only does it have to be a profitable license but at least on the game side we have to like it because it's a lot of work to make a game. So oh, if, yeah. if it's not an exciting license, if it's not something that I love or someone in my family loves and I can dedicate it to them or something that Jerry loves or like if there's not a driving person that's just going to be like, no, guys, trust me, I'll put this license on my back and we'll make it sweet. Then we're, we're not going to go after it. But, you know, Blade Runner, that's a top movie for Jerry, too. So it's like, OK, we're going to go after this license hard. And turns out. Other people, so he struck out, unfortunately, and then he elevated it to higher ups. You know, our editor in chief, Chris Ryle, even to Ted Adams, to the CEO, just asking like, "Who has this thing?" And it turns out they'd struck out years before looking for comic rights. Hmm. So none of us were able to get any leads there, and that died on the vine, unfortunately. So that's a one of those sad stories. So in that case, where you go is you kind of look at, okay, we've got this system in place of this game. Obviously, it was themed towards a specific IP, intellectual property. Could it pivot and become something else more generic? And in a lot of cases, the games can. There's There's been several that came in. One we signed that was based off this indie game that just honestly, it wasn't worth paying a royalty to that IP because it wouldn't bring more, it wouldn't bring in the fans that it would cost to pay in royalty and cost in time to have an approver. So I liked a lot of the game mechanics and just rethemed it and stripped down things and buffed up things and got away from that IP. And so in the case of the Blade Runner game, that was the same thing of analyzing it and deciding, okay, could it become something else? To hmm. me in the very, and I'm typically good at finding other things, but to me for this in particular game, there was nothing else. It was built for Blade Runner. And so we haven't been able to move forward on that yet. I'm hoping when the movie sequel comes out that a new licensing department will emerge and we'll be able to slide in. But that's, you know, that that's that example. So that's the other thing is, you know, even if you if you come to us with a license that you don't control and I don't control it, the conversation may stop at going after the license and may just be like, why are you targeting a license that we could never get? Let's just make this more generic, you hmm. know, and we'll make it the go bots to the Transformers. <laughs> that that is really fascinating that I had no idea that it was like like an Easter egg hunt. Yeah, you know, almost. Yeah, you know, to to find who has the the rights. So, how do you figure out what you think a good IP, or or I should say, like what a successful uh, IP would be? Is there is there like a metrics, or is it like a gut feeling, or? It's a uh, it's almost gut feeling. Yeah, it, again, it comes from stuff we like, and then looking at what's been done from that brand before. So, Godfather was something that. I mean, that's my favorite film trilogy. I, you know, the moments of watching that game with my dad are, are very, me- or watching those three movies with my dad are very memorable to me. And looking around, there was n- there were no Godfather games. So that was one where it was like, there's no Godfather games. Let's call them up. There's no heat on this brand. It might be a friendly deal. 
and then there's a great built-in audience and let's let's go after it and so that's a good example of that was just something of how saturated is the brand like i wouldn't make a as much as i'm glad it's making money for everyone i i'm not going to go and say the guys that sign firefly tomorrow i, <laughs> I think right uh, there's been a couple other ones that we've looked at and been like no there's enough out there or really small stuff like some steam indie game or something that has a cult following but it's just not worth dealing with a creator on a small scale and and a small fan base for this royalty game that might actually turn people away because licensed games have reputation and it's not like the best reputation so i mean i thought spartacus was going to be a joke and couldn't you know couldn't get past the cover and then i play that game like oh my god that's great so there are times where a license can drive people away naturally from you. So that that royalty you're paying is is costing you sales. So you have to be careful about that. So it it starts with we honestly just sit in a room and BS back and forth and kind of go, what's cool and what what's fun? Let's get another license. And we try to be comic heavy because we have an advantage there. Nostalgia heavy because that that lines up with IDW. But it's all. You know, it's all good. And sometimes we get approached by licensors at shows. And that's an exciting thing because IDW has such a good reputation as being one of the best licensees out there. People trust us. We're the biggest licensed comic book publisher in the world. So, you know, the Hasbros, the Viacoms of the world trust IDW with their 35 year old, 40 year old iconic brands. So these other people, I mean, we got approached with some really iconic stuff at San Diego Comic Con and actually need to finish the pitches for that probably tomorrow or the next day. And that's really exciting. It's like, oh my God. You know, things from your childhood that you just obsess over and now they're coming to you and saying, hey, would you please, you know, write something up and try and make something for us? So so how does that work? So they uh, so a company approaches you with an IP. They say, hey, we want to do a game. Like, do they give you parameters or do they just say, hey, uh, you know, think about it and come back to us with ideas or or does it just kind of depend? Okay, it almost always it's just hey, we're open to game licensing. Would you write a note, write up a draft and send something over and so we'll write a nice presentation. Twice, no, once we were given super specific game parameters because the the licensor happened to be a serious gamer. Hmm. And I just wrote three pitches for another license we're targeting. And the licensor publicly is a big tabletop gamer. And so I tailored the pitches very, I got much more granular than I normally would and really got in there and made some references that I think they'll appreciate. And I fully expect them to come back. I think they'll appreciate it, sign the deal. And then I think they'll come back and want to be more hands-on with their games. And I'm totally okay with that because it's something i love and that if i get to work with that person or that title it will be really exciting so you did a little bit of audience analysis there and you're like yep yeah, big we're time gonna, yeah, yeah. stocked stocked the twitter stocked the everything <laughs> stocked the wiki there was a lot of uh oh you played that on wednesday oh you played that again okay you know so let's make this let's tailor this closer to that so yeah i you know i was a i was a business owner and salesperson for a long time and and you know you speak to your audience it's not one size fits all that's for sure yeah yeah i'm a a technical writer in my day job and so it's all about Hmm. audience analysis and and, yeah just trying to you know tailor the uh, user content to the appropriate uh, level so you said that it's very different if a designer you know, brings an idea, a design to you with a with a, an idea for a, a theme, or a, rather a, an IP, versus right. you guys internally uh, want to do something for an IP. So how does that work? Yeah, so that's totally different. So say, it's a good example. 
Well, X Files. We did X Files, so I can talk about that. So, if we're going after a license, uh, we go at it this way typically. And we've been getting this is almost revealing some pretty good secrets to other companies because I don't think they do it. But uh, instead of just doing the financial side of things, which is you know the the simple here's the minimum guarantee we'll give you over X years, and here's the royalty we'll give you over Y sales. I actually write. We we think about the the type of games we would make for that license how many we would make, what types, so cardboard, dice, figural, all these kind of things. And we or RPG, we get specific on that. And then we think about what the gameplay experience would be. And we'll make a full document that's like, you know, starts with flashy sizzle on the gameplay, three paragraphs of that, and then goes into here's the components you'd get in your box. And then three to four paragraphs of more technical how the game would play around for round, what the wind conditions are and all that. And then even down to which size should be supplying art and all these kinds of things. So we'll write up. I have a folder full of these documents I've written for some of the most amazing licenses of the, in the world and three shots at each cardboard dice. So hmm. I don't know. I have 45 to 60 amazing pitch documents in my dead pile right now. <laughs> Because they stay there if they don't get signed. If they get signed, they move somewhere else. But yeah, so we'll put that full work in and then and go from there. And so then if it comes back, it's like, yeah, please pursue that program. Then the the then it's time to sit down and say, okay, well, we said we were going to make a investigative game. Who's done that before? Kevin Wilson's amazing. He's done Android. Let's talk to him. Okay, cool. So Nathan McNair is the one who actually approached him and made that game happen. So he went out, wrote up a spec for it, worked with him and they, they together and he developed that game with Kevin Wilson. And then that game came in and, and then we, I was product, I was literally product managing that one, but that's the same experience we're doing now is that we find it, Okay. These are the mechanics we promised. What designers would fit that there's designers we target that we never get. And then we land some huge guys like a Rob Dabiao or Kevin, Eric Lang. Those two work together on a game that we uh, co-published. Arcane Academy, right? Arcane Academy, yeah, absolutely. That came in differently, but just an example of kind of the, the breadth of designers we work with. So that that's kind of the difference. Is it, it's, it's a funny moment. When it goes that way, there's kind of the terror moment of they said yes, and you kind of promised this very cool thing that's in your head, and you now have to make that into bits and pieces of paper <laughs> and, and all that. And that's the... That's like, oh man, I probably shouldn't have said it have that blind bidding round, or probably probably shouldn't have said those turrets actually swivel, or <laughs> you know, you're starting to think all the things you promised on that spec doc, and you're sweating a little bit, and you you know, you're like, did I say it was was a that designer game esque? Because what does esque mean? Do I have to get them, or can I get? You know, can I call my buddy? So um, that that becomes a very different kind of pressure in meeting expectations instead of the, uh, the the simpler version. But that's that's very fun, and that's how we're working a lot more often right now. So speaking of Kevin Wilson, do yeah. you have compromising photos of him because? You have so many of his designs that are coming out. It's just, it's like, hey, another Kevin Wilson game. Hey, another Kevin Wilson game. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's kind of funny to see uh, a freelance designer just work time and time again uh, with, with, with you guys. I know that Kevin is very fast to turn around games and very professional. Is it like you seek out a designer of that ilk because they're the ones that are able to handle kind of the requirements? Or is it just, you just happen to be like really, a kevin wilson fan and and he's easy to work with and so you just kind of go to him 
Yeah, so I, funny how that relationship developed. It started with Nathan bringing him in for X-Files and then for Chu. And then in reality, I think he was being very kind with us because he really wanted the Turtles license. Ah, he, okay. had, he had a concept for Turtles. And so from day one, he was telling us, he's like, hey, here's your X-Files game. I think it's fun and I very cool. And But he, he was from day one saying, if you get Turtles, I'll make you a, uh, a one versus many amazing game that's got this really unique mechanic and it's it'll be really special so go get turtles and uh we're like okay okay you know and i think he just kind of hung around making games for us and kind of keep you know hey here's your next game and then uh go get turtles (laughs) and i think he was kind of the the guy who drove to make that happen so luckily jerry's super tenacious and i mean probably took two two and a half years to get that deal done but then we got turtles done and during the course of turtles kevin and i started working together much more often long hours and then certainly galvanized our our relationship through the uh, the kickstarter and all that so i i kevin's one of the guys that i skype with all, almost daily now i like i kind of if i haven't i, I would kind of check on him like hey uh, i don't even really have anything to say uh <laughs> but he's just he's like kind of one of the best he's just such a nice dude and and really smart and interesting and always you know he, he's doing this full time so he has the time to kind of have almost philosophical game discussions so i, I tra- cherish my time like kind of skyping with him while i'm doing other stuff uh, and just talking game design and game theory and his backgrounds from fantasy flight kind of doing what i do in which he had to worry about the production of things and and the templates and and how things should go and costing with china and so his design mind is very business friendly ah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah totally so he he knows like a sheet size and he knows this and he knows what what size a piece should be and he's um he's always cool about it too it's it's i'm not getting blown up emails and talking to anyone off ledges it's always like he's like oh you could do that i'm not gonna tell you not to but (laughs) In in reality, you know, in reality, you're gonna you're gonna make you're gonna make better money doing it this way. And it's like okay, okay, so that so that's been that, and, it, and we've been very friendly. And he's been showing me games a little earlier on now, and I, I I hope that I get an early chance on a couple of them because you know he he does such amazing work, and he's really found a voice even seeing the last years of as he's probably gotten more comfortable freelancing he's found this voice in his game design that's like so interesting and cool i mean the turtles game is stunning it brought me back to a genre i don't even like playing <laughs> and then he's got uh, he's got a couple in the hopper that are just killer what else we have a very cool simultaneous play seven player game coming from him in little circuses yeah, I am particularly uh, interested in that one. I saw that on BGG, I think, last year at some point, and I was like, wow, that seems really interesting. So when, when's that coming out? Uh, that'll be out. October, November, right around there. Okay. Everything's final. The files are up. We're just working. We're working with a new printer on it, and we're kind of learning their templates and all that. Yeah, production uh, issues. Yeah, or I shouldn't say issues, just differences. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. When you uh, all printers have uh, different specs and all that, so right? You can- you know, they're not, so we're doing that now, but uh, it's a really adorable game, and then it's, you know, it's fun. It, even there's even a really simple solo mode to it, so one to seven is a pretty good niche. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think I think it's a it's a special game. We put a lot of effort into it. It's going to look really nice on the table, so that's a that's a fun one. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just a naturally good working relationship. I I don't know. There's something about Kevin. I, I don't think anyone in the industry will tell you anything different than he's the nicest guy to deal with. So yeah, I met him at BGGCon last year, and and he jumped in a, a game that I was playing, and yeah, super nice guy. And you can tell right away that you know his brain is just spinning, spinning, in in, in a in a different way. Very uh, very soft spoken, but very real nice guy. 
him and I, I guess like Daryl Andrews, you guys have so many uh, designs by. They're almost like it feels like they're in house. <laughs> well, God, uh, we were, it was close to being in house with Daryl. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, I love I love Daryl. He's a heck of a designer. He's kind of like there's like one more year where I, where he's going to be my buddy, and then he'll be a triple a AAA rock star and i'll hope to get a, re- a return email from him but, <laughs> but i can say i was there back when yeah i think we signed i don't know the total number on how many daryl games i have but it's a fair amount to to be to be honest but he has a like lot signed out there and he's he's gonna explode uh really soon and again really easy to work with a little less knowledge than 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 kevin on the the business side and how to design to to spec and to keep cost down and all that but that doesn't really matter that much when you give me a really fun game we kind of just go okay it's really fun and that's what he's good at so he's good at doing quick work and license work so and development actually he's he's helped us out he helped with uh, turtles right yeah yeah he came in to to step up and help kevin with the last little bits of, of play tests and all that and, and grinding through so that was that was life-saving when there were no hours left in the day he kind of <laughs> shined and then he also organized those online play tests that that got a lot of views and a lot of marketing hype so certainly someone idw is in, incredibly happy with and will be working with an, an awful lot in a lot of different capacities you'll see his name and I, I hope some interesting new ways within the next few months that's cool yeah daryl's a he's a really nice guy and he's real forgiving yeah. or i should say giving uh with his time doing like the meeple syrup show and just trying to uh share knowledge and yeah real real nice guy you know being up in canada can't uh, see him outside of <laughs> conventions usually right but, totally. but, yeah so we we have a a question from twitter from friend of the show daniel newman Daniel's question is, is it best to design with an IP in mind and hope you can get the license or design a game flexibly so that an IP can be made to fit? I think I know the answer, but what would you say? I would say flexibly 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look for a core thing in a game that I love. And that's like, what's the memorable piece of that game that I go away with? And that's in general design if I could give a note for that, like what's the core thing that's like, there's so many games coming out now. So what's that core takeaway that I'm going to walk away from the table and be like, Oh man, I just played a game where instead of worker placement, it's worker execution or, (laughs) you know, something it's worker this like, so it's like, what's that core fun. So worry about that. What makes your game fun first? And I, I will retheme it to anything I need to. That's no big deal. Designing with a license in mind is fine. And to be fair, a designer did that recently and the designer I work with and, and kind of called up and was like, hey, man, I kind of designed this game with this brand in mind. And he'd gone so far as to make the prototype like all that branded out. Hmm. And it's like, it, but it was so themed perfectly that my the hair on my arms was like standing up and it was just like, OK, look. We're gonna get that license, <laughs> just because it's something I love. Again, it was something I love, I lo- and then luckily, it's something several people in the company love. And so it's like, okay, yeah, well, d- don't worry about it. Don't untheme it. Don't. So you can you can call your shot like that, but understand that he he pointed at the fences and then swung and hit a home run. And so and and he's that kind of guy. <laughs> but not not everyone is that. So it's certainly if you have no name, it, just just get to the fun. That's the biggest thing in design, you know. So many times I'll play a game and it's like, okay, it's a 180-minute game. And I'm like, oh. And then 20 minutes of it are amazing when we do the X phase. And it's like, well, just give me a game with the X phase and not the A through – what's the letter before X? Eh, I don't know. But that's how many phases we get to before I get to the fun. And I I don't want that. So distill it down, make it fun, and then the licenses will come you know, as, as they are. 
Yeah, 180 minute game these days. That's a tough sell unless you're a fantasy player. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not doing it. I just I think again, distillation is where it's where it's going. It's you can isolate that one fun mechanic from a game, and we could play a fun auction game, that and then a fun worker placement game, and then a fun elimination game. And instead of having a game that has one of those phases great and two okay, we just play three great games in the same time. So. And and not have anybody feel like they've lost their space and lost their focus and all that. So it, yeah, I I'm actively about sixty minutes or less at this point. I think uh, that's probably the majority of people. Except I think for, that's uh, where it's going. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's just you know we our time gets shorter and yeah. I right. I used to play like I, I used to look forward to playing like Eclipse and it's like all right the next five right. hours you know we're going to be doing Eclipse okay. and I still love the game but I just can't. I just can't find the time. If we could all just retire to a commune and play games, and yeah, that'd oh, be great. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, there's there's new people entering our space every day. Like board games are pretty cool right now. They're getting a lot of media, a lot of attention. Every time someone like uh, Rob Daviau or, or or Matt Leacock team up and do something so innovative as Pandemic Legacy, that got a huge amount of media, which meant a lot of new people into the space. And so people are showing up to game night with someone new on their hip. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, they're not seasoned. So, yeah, you might have set up TI3 or whatever, but that unseasoned player right there, you need to stick them in our hobby hard. So put that away and pull out that game that addicts people real quick and run them through Machi Koro, run them through King of Tokyo, whatever, and get them wanting more and, and include them in our hobby and you've made a new fan and you've 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 widened our hobby and and that's what we should all be doing we shouldn't be exclusive and and turning our our nose down or nose up i don't know which way does that go nose up yeah i think it could be either uh, way yeah <laughs> okay well either way, don't give you know don't be looking shifty at people that don't know anything but have enthusiasm and want to play something like if they've only played munchkin cool like show them a new thing that's close and one step further you know what i mean like and that's what's happening every game that i go to now somebody non-rsvp'd is is suddenly tagged along because they heard of how great board games are now and they want to see it for themselves so we have to have this wider breadth of shorter interesting games to introduce new mechanics quickly and maybe not five new mechanics just one like i said you know just just bonanza just the pure god what do you even call it i love that game that's a negotiation trading yeah, just pure, you know, just distill one thing, boil it down until it's a demi-gloss of awesome, and, and that's it. So that's that's what I'm looking at on a, on a game design aspect. And I think that goes back to license as well, if I'm to try and carry a theme through for you. In a license game, like, I, I want those key things from the license to shine through in the game. So you can't make a Back to the Future game without a DeLorean in it. I think that's important. So. Right. That, that that's the kind of thing you can't make for me the mafia style godfather game i, I made you know mafia is a game that so got the godfather mafia game that's um like my favorite trilogy and then my favorite game i'm like a super competitive mafia player i've been playing for 20 years i've played on online forums super competitively that like tracked how you voted over excel spreadsheets and would repost and post your stuff and double oh, wow. you had to like change your account every month or two because people <laughs> understand your meta too much like yeah shout out to two plus two forum i've been like several people on there that they don't know uh, <laughs> i kept changing i would change my account too much and I'm like forget that but so that's my two favorite things and so in combining them the most important thing in talking with nathan was like okay you know mafia is a game where you have several 
close your eyes, open your eyes moments. And it's like, well, the best close your eyes, open your eyes moment in the history of anything is the guy closing his eyes and opening his eyes to a horse in his bed. (laughs) So if, if the Godfather game with night phase and day phase doesn't have that, it's an abject failure. So we had to have that. And then it was, you know, what else? What other iconic things? Subway tokens. Okay, can we figure out? Little things like that. So those, those key moments. Um, Jay and Sen's Godfather game. You Every round you make the Godfather or, not, or the Godfather makes you an offer you can't refuse. That's what it should have. It should have that key thing that celebrates the license so perfectly. And that's when you know you've done it right. That Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it's almost like doing word association or theme association so if someone throws out you know like ghostbusters what do you have to have in there if there's no slime in ghostbusters get to walking yeah and if i can't cross the streams in that game you know one you better be you better be crossing streams yeah exactly yeah it'd be a big freaking moment (laughs) exactly yeah so stuff like that absolutely that that's the key you need those those Hooray moments that we, you know, we accomplished this or we failed spectacularly at this or this this threw us for a curve. The second act doldrums came, whatever. Like you, you need to celebrate that license right. Right. So, so, so speaking of uh, Ghostbusters, I, I know that IDW does a comic book line for Ghostbusters. Yeah, so. For sure. If if you guys are are doing a comic line, does that mean that you already have the license to do other things, or does it just kind of depend on the line? No, I learned a great word from someone smarter than myself: splicensing. Huh. And, and uh, it's how companies carve out licenses very, very carefully. And so you ask for exactly what you want to do. And I've seen some, I've been privy to see some pretty cool contracts and how it works. And and I won't, I can't say much on that. But I can say that like for Ghostbusters, there could be the right. We could have the comic book rights, and someone else could have prose book rights. Okay. So you could have novels from someone, and we would do comics. Or to to go t- closer to home for godfather we have board and card rights there's another company out there doing something and i assume that they got their rights under a miniatures game license and that's how they got that ah Uh, okay so you find really weird weird ways to carve out different licenses and you have to be very specific and then sometimes it you know in the case of firefly or star trek or whatever you sign non-exclusive license uh non-exclusive agreements as well where yeah okay Everybody in the world can make a dice game, but I just want to make this one with Star Trek on it. And so that's why you'll see certain brands across several different companies. Okay. Now, if you guys already are working with the license holders for, you know, again, like a like a comic book, does that make it a little easier to, oh, to totally. pitch them? Yeah. yeah. Because you have that pre-existing relationship. Yeah, we have the relationship. And like I said, our licensors love us. Like We constantly win awards for the comic book work. Not not the board game work yet. We've won some award, but not not in a licensing respect. But yeah, they have a much deeper trust with us. And they'll, they'll come and say, hey, we're thinking about doing games. Do you want to get in on this? And then sometimes they just don't think of it. And somebody else calls and it's like, hey, we want to make a game. And they just say, yeah, do it. And they forget, oh, maybe I did. We wanted it. Because our game company's young, too. So right. you- that's fine. Like, no offense or anything. It's totally okay. <laughs> Yeah, you guys have exploded on the scene, though, that's for sure, in like the last two years. Yeah, we're trying to light it up, trying to be noticed, that's for sure. So I I know that a good 
portion of your games that you put out will have some type of uh, IP attached to them, but not all do. For example, right. Machi Koro is, is, is one that, that doesn't. Yeah. Um, how do you make the distinction of like when you want to have a game that has an IP and when you don't? Does it just depend on the specific game, or is there more... Yeah. Uh, to it than that no it just depends on the game like uh, Machi Koro that's Nathan McNair and Molly Wardlaw from Pandasaurus they went to Japan and found uh, Machi Koro and outbid out borrowed out maneuvered other publishers and got those rights for English so you know kudos to them and they've done that with several games like Tammany Hall Yato a lot of great games Dragon's Gold Open Sesame all that so they'll go pick up a game right and and doesn't need a license but it has a great designer and great gameplay and that's good enough on our end Daryl's games that we signed. I think the first that's announced is Mine All Mines that's coming out shortly, themed around mining and had uh, one extra little wrinkle mechanic that I loved and didn't need to retheme a mining game to like, were we going to get the rights to that Chilean miner movie? Like, there's not like, you know, like, it's not really something that matched. So the biggest thing with that game was just arguing over the name for three months. <laughs> <laughs> I finally, I'll, I'll take, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that I put my foot down and, and named the dang thing myself. Every, we all argued. There's probably 200 names for that game. Pretty hilarious. I wanted something that didn't sound, say, Dwarf Mine on it, like every game in the space. Right. And Mine All Mines makes sense with the the mechanic in the game. And I know it'll get shortened to Mine All Mine, and that's fine. But my pun is in there, so it's good. <laughs> and then what's nice, so with Machi Koro, for example... What's cool about that game is that first you come out with the base and then it lends itself very easily to licenses should you want to come and do that deal. So much like the USAopoly model of there's Star Wars Monopoly, there's Chicago Monopoly, Las Vegas Monopoly, Walking Dead Monopoly, all that. Machi Koro is that same kind of game where it's light and, and breezy and easy to enter that you could skin it for one of these licenses and that'd be a really interesting thing to do. So, again, that's why design for fun, design light fun stuff. And then there's the USAopoly model of making 50 versions of the game. And then you have Target demand a adults-only version of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what Bedwood Dead lost out to, to be fair. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, we, all, we still made it, so whatever. But yeah, <laughs> yeah just now with the uh, code names. Oh, code names. Yeah, yeah no, they, no they, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was <laughs> people saw it coming. Like what? That was kind of weird. Yeah, I think code names is is a game where I think you'll see ten to fifteen licenses on it before it's done in the next five years. I would expect to see a lot of licensing. I I mean, I could. I could prattle off five right now that they should go get, but they should do their own homework. So <laughs> that was, uh, uh, or they you... could they they could email us and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a cut. So CGE, if you're listening, uh, we'll do the we'll do the intros and we'll yeah. we'll we'll, uh, we'll co-publish. Do you, with do, some licenses. do you know the uh, the story behind Codenames Undercover? Had you heard how that came to be? No, what is it? So Target approached CGE and said, "Hey, we want to do an adult version," and. Uh, CGE of said specifically. Uh, of Codan specifically, yeah, and and CGE said okay, and Target said, yep, we're we're gonna handle all the cards, and you know we'll we'll do all the the rules and everything like that, and that's actually why uh, Vlada Chavadal's name isn't on the cover because he had nothing to do with it. It was all oh, Target, wow. yeah. 
they wrote all those words. They did, yeah. So and then, oh jeez, uh, I, I I imagine that they play tested then just see to make sure they all worked well together. Uh, but yeah, so they they did all that. So CGE, whether they're actually looking for licenses or not, I don't know. But I'm with you. I, I think that would be something that would just be you know roll up the dump truck of money. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Uh, I would love to help them with that. So the uh, the last prepared question I have here okay. is, and this is going to be a little bit open ended in in anything that you haven't already mentioned that goes into kind of obtaining a license or working with a license that perhaps most people either aren't aware of or wouldn't think would actually be kind of part of the the whole process. I think if you take the overall of what we covered and and build that web, it, it's in there. And it's that every licensor is different. There's not a standard agreement of you said you're going to make a game, go make whatever the heck you want. There are so many moving bits and pieces and so many different layers of approval that when you see the final product on the shelf, understand that compromise has been made. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone cares deeply and has opinions. And in in the end, we all want a game that represents all parties involved as well as possible. So yeah, I think revisiting, you know, why are certain characters missing? Why are certain still, why in some instances stills, why in some instances, perfect likenesses, why cartoony, why this, why that it's backroom dealings. It's every deal is so different that, that it's just a world that you can't ever think you have a perfect grasp on. And that's what makes it fun is that you don't ever, I don't ever go to work and know what my day will be a hundred percent. There's just hmm. never a time. It, it's there's going to be a curveball, and I try to write down the three I anticipate for the next day, the three fires, and and make sure those are extinguished. But there'll be you know there's a easily today my fire list was ten. Oh man! And you know I wrote three for tomorrow, and we'll hope it's three, and that, that's it. But it's always going to get interesting. And to, to me, that sounds fun, but I, to a lot of people, that would probably sound horrific, just having to deal with, you know, who knows what's going to come up today. Right. And yeah, and each relationship, it's still humans behind all this. So it's still people's feelings and it's still like you might work close to the original creator or you might work with the estate of a creator and mm-hmm. people have different there, – there's certainly licensors out there who are like – 10% cool send the check approved 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 <laughs> and then there's licensors that are like ah could that nose be a little smaller and you know should 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 she be as powerful as her because in reality they fought one time in episode four from season three <laughs> and it looked like she was getting the upper hand but she didn't so you know so you're gonna you're gonna have that and you got to know I'm learning now kind of going in how how deep in and how crazy like passionate someone's going to be and so i've got a better nose for that now and that that's helpful but you just you get to know it but i I think as a consumer also uh, you know realize that it's humans who made the game and we wanted to make it cool so we wanted to do everything cool that you thought of and when you say like whoa why didn't that make it there's a reason it's it's not because we not because we're trying to tear apart your childhood (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's not because you know, yeah, you don't want to do the right thing. It's just because reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because business, right? So, yeah, <laughs> that's I, I think that's it. So, but main thing as if we're talking to, I don't know if your audience is mostly designers or what, but if you're designing, main goal make make cool stuff, and then what'll happen is if you make a good game and put it out, then when I'm searching for a licensed game and I look for the mechanics that I want, 
and you've done a great game like that, I'll come, I'll call you. <laughs> so just make, make the fun first. Not everything has to be designed with turtles in mind or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll look forward to the Dirk Gently game that'll come out. That's actually not real listeners. No, but I actually, I have it in my head. I think we could, I think I could have it out like next week. I already know the designer, the mechanics and all that because Dirk is such a quirky, interesting brand. I, I think I already, yeah, we could do that. We, we could have that done quick. You, you think that would be an IP that would, that would sell? I don't know if it would sell. I, I'd have to look and we'll see how the show does. Obviously, you know, big hopes for it with, with Max Landis running it and Elijah Wood being on board and BBC America being legit about their promotion. If you went to San Diego Comic-Con, man, they had a big old side banner there. So that was pretty fun. I was great at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Max Landis actually came strolling up to me and was like, hey, is Ted around? Like, no, sorry, Max. And he was like, kind of did one of those things like, how do you know my name? And it's like, you're the guy with the rainbow hair that looks like <laughs> Max Landis, you know? <laughs> He's just, oh, okay. And then my graphic designer was there too. And so she pointed out, hey, there's a huge uh, huge graphic of your show down the, down at BBC America. And so, oh, cool. So he went down to check that out. And that was that, but pretty funny guy. So, so I'm going to have to uh, be honest here. I did not realize that there was a show coming out. I was actually oh really talk, you yeah talking about comics oh well, actually the novel because that's oh. that's one of my favorite novels is the the drug oh yeah I and so I just looked it up. Now I'm really excited that there's a show coming out. I had no idea. This is awesome. Wow. wow. And we and IDW does graphic novels on Dirk Gently that are very true to the source. So. Yeah, I, I didn't know that you had the the graphic novels. I haven't read them. Okay. I, yeah, I, they're fun. They're on my list uh, to, to get to. But yeah, that that is really awesome. So I I, I learned I learned many things, but I learned uh, about about that show. I'm really looking forward to that. There you go. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Nate, is there anything else about uh, intellectual property that you want to mention? Um, no, I'm good on intellectual property. I I think that I think we we hit it. We'll see. Thanks for the better question. I I am ecstatic with all the information that you've given us. I think this has been highly educational for myself and for hopefully uh, all of our listeners. Because uh, unless again, you know, they're at the Eric Lang, Kevin uh, Wilson kind of level, they probably don't realize a lot of these kind of ins and outs here. And so I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of educate us a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I hope some of it was useful and not just prattle. And uh, <laughs> well, if there's follow up questions, people can tweet at me. Absolutely, I'm on the uh, I'm on the tweets. So, and what is your Twitter handle? I'm a uh, Nate C Murray. All right, and uh, as always, listeners, if you want to tweet at me, you can tweet at me at Matt Wolf with an E on the end of Wolf. And once again, Nate, thank you very much for coming on. This is fantastic, and we'll have cool. to do uh, special guests more often because uh, to date it's only been uh, group members, but this is super fun. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm always happy to talk. So anytime, man. Thanks Excellent. A lot. All right, uh, this will do it for this episode of the Game Designers of North Carolina podcast, and we will see you next time.